Welcome to the Intercut Weekend Must Watch, where we wade our way through the latest in theaters, streaming, and on demand. I am your co-host, Zach Shevich, and joining me, he's worried about the chain of evidence at the Batman's crime scenes. There's no it's way. Arturo Zurita. Look, I, I, I was like the Riddler. I read up on everything we needed to. There's no way the man can catch you. If you know your subject, if you know who's chasing you, there's no way they're going to be able to get you. But Zach, we have so much to discuss. We have a movie that's either another superhero movie or is it cinema? I've said my review, but I've been excited for the one man between us who knows his movie cinema knowledge, and I want to mm-hmm. see if it lived up to this man's hype. Right. Well, it's important, you know, when there's a big movie out, when, it's pe- when there's a movie that a lot of people are talking about as maybe one of the best of the year that we get to it right away. You know, it's it, we want to talk about that very exciting Colin Farrell performance and the dynamic visuals. So before we get in too excited, why don't we start what, with what we're watching with After Yang, the latest from Koganada. <laughs> the wonderful film out of the Sundance Film Festival that uh, I got to rewatch over the weekend, and I know you got to rewatch too. Dude, look, <laughs> a lot of the Sundance movies that we caught are already coming out, which is fantastic. It's awesome. But the entire release strategy has completely changed to the point that um, some of our favorite movies are getting day-and-date releases. I'm conflicted. I'm happy about it. It's also like... I don't know, terrible for the movie. After Yang is also playing on Showtime, and Showtime has had this really, really good deal with A24 where they also have Minari, they also have Zola. Uh, The Humans, which was one of your favorites from last year as well, immediately on there. I love the fact, I will not complain about that people get the chance to watch one of our favorite movies of the year. It kind of sucks, though, because of the rollout, Mm -hmm. but if you are looking for a Colin Farrell performance that isn't three hours long... Honestly, I feel like his performance in the Batman might have been equal to the amount of time he had over here. Right, screen the time. But After Yang is a fantastic movie from Koganada. Uh, his previous movie from Sundance was Columbus. Mm-hmm. Love that movie as well. This is a man who knows how to just create some of the best compositions. He started off doing video essays. I think a lot of people know him from that off of Vimeo. And this is a dude who walks the talk. And I'm glad to say that in his second, uh, in his follow-up, he has upped the ante because <coughs> I feel the story is even better than his previous one. Uh, Columbus was very emotional. And this one is too. Mm-hmm. But after Yang has elements and plot lines that could be their own movies, series. You know what I mean, Zach? It could be its yeah own thing hell they were uh, practicing the choreography from that intro which i thought was fantastic so <laughs> yeah um, no I, I highly recommend after it. yang after yang is a, a world in which you feel like you can just dive into all these different elements and and explore and find new stuff uh you know i i watching it again i realized that i i might have messed up man this might have been the best movie i saw at sundance this it's year dope, it is, dude. it's really good because when i saw it there i knew i was leaving some some meat on the bone and i wasn't sure if it would be like the sinewy tough meat or that like juicy meaty fatty stuff that you can really dig into (laughs) man it was it was the good stuff it was nothing but good stuff left and and i was so impressed by the way that its story i think a lot of times movies tell you their story and this is this resists the urge to just tell you things it kind of just lets the story unfold things happen and you don't yet understand why they're significant to the rest of the movie Mm -hmm. until you've been able to sit with them. Um, And it is a movie that is really rewarding on the rewatch. You know, even stuff that you may not even think of, like that uh, credit sequence that went viral on Twitter, realizing that the characters in that sequence are the characters that then show up throughout the rest of the movie. Hmm. It's it's pretty cool. You know, when you get to 
actually figure out the movie and dive deeper and really absorb the world. I was I'm so blown away by Koganada's movie. It, it's easily going to be uh, in our top tens, I think, when we talk about those later in this year. 100%. Favorite out of yeah. Sundance. And I'm looking even at the chat. Connor's saying that he's seen it five times. Woo! Is that in theaters? Is that in Showtime? Uh, either way, that's fantastic. <laughs> I, I, I really do yeah. hope that people get the chance to see this. If Showtime has a free trial, it's a steal then at that point. Yeah. After Yang, one of the best of the year. I do think that, like you were mentioning, though, that day and date release, as exciting as it is to be able to get a movie like this and and right away be able to reabsorb it, it does take the wind out of its sails a little bit. And I feel like a movie like The Humans that you mentioned almost didn't get any hype at all, perhaps because of that situation. Just it, it... it's like the, like this Netflix effect where maybe there's a little bit of a surge of hype, but it dies out. And I don't know. I, I see, I think when you see the way that movies like this can kind of become a little bit forgotten, it makes sense why certain movies go for the more slow build route, the way that something like drive my car, which has now become a huge thing. Now that's hit streaming and it built to was it, yeah. able to use the theatrical momentum this to get there it. first. I'm cool. I'm so cool with it going to streaming. The way that Drive My Car did it, the way that Zola did it, at least have an exclusive theatrical mm-hmm. window because at that point, you also have the theaters who see Day and Day and they don't want it because that's not HBO. When HBO did that last year, even HBO, what, what happened to them? No Thursday showings for all their Day and Date ones. I hated mm-hmm. that. It ruined its opening and for some movies like Malignant, kind of ruined its rollout. For a movie like these, for, for something this independent, uh, not, not good, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. It's tough. All right. Let's get into the one that is dominating the box office. Bum, 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 bum. Get copyrighted right there, right off the bat. <laughs> the Batman. Yeah, man. Matt Reeves' take on the <sighs> Dark Knight's legacy. Uh, yet another reboot, revision, whatever you want to call it. This one with Robert Pattinson at its center. Maybe the darkest Batman we've got yet, although I, I feel like there's some dispute over whether or not it is, no. uh, it's at least visually the darkest spot. <laughs> I was about to say, got, my, the lumens were very low in this one. <laughs> uh, we are. We have a let us explain on the Batman where we're going to dive into full spoilers. We're going to get into theories. We're going to talk about those those little riddles that you may not be looking at. Uh, all of that is happening after this live stream. So let's just talk about it with no spoilers here. Art, did the Batman live up to your hype? Having seen it three times, Zach, I can say <laughs> that whether you're going to go catch it in IMAX because of its surround sound, this is a uh, movie that isn't in the IMAX ratio, so I'm a right. little iffy telling people to go spend the money on it, uh, but it has 12 tracks as opposed to the seven that Adobe has. But Adobe's got that rumble, you know, and Adobe's got that very crisp contrast screen. Wherever you watch it, just make sure that they've cleaned the light bulbs in your theaters is really all I could say because this is one of those dark movies where uh, you are going to be in a theater for three hours. Your eyes are going to need to get adjusted to it, just like Bruce's in this movie. And I think it's one of those that, because it's such a whopping runtime, the more you sit with it, and if you're willing to give it a rewatch, the more rewarding it is. I love the movie more and more that I watch it. Obviously, it's very brooding. It's very dark. It's not going to be for everyone, but I love this new take. Uh, It's not even a new take. I don't want to say it's a new take because we were having these discussions about Mm -hmm. it being revolutionary by homaging Fincher. Revolutionary by adapting what's in the comic. You know, I I don't, I wouldn't call it that. And that's still coming from someone who loves it. 
Yeah, I think as far as live action Batman goes, we we haven't really gotten one that was quite so much in the detective mold as this one is. We've gotten ones that are maybe a little bit more emphasis uh, on the, you know, flash of the world and the Batcave and some ones that maybe explore some of the action-y elements and the, you know, I think Nolan was really good at getting you that kind of visceral ground level uh, street uh, view of the cr- yeah. of crime fighting. This one I think is kind of interesting in that it really borrows a lot, like you were mentioning, from those '70s detective thrillers. There's really like uh, echoes of Chinatown in here. I felt I actually just watched Bullet, Steve McQueen's Bullet, for the first time of the weekend, and I I felt like that movie is so similar in tone to the mm-hmm. Batman that there has to be some aping going on there. Even when you talk about like that big. Uh, car chase in the middle is so similar to ones we've gotten in Bullet, ones we've gotten in like the French Connection, in terms of what they're uh, what they're trying to evoke. Uh, it, you know, it's not like a Fast and Furious style car chase. It, you, it's almost more emphasized on their lack of control in those moments, which I think is really cool. And it's also, we have a lot of movies that they think homaging is just like copy pasting the exact same scene. I love how Matt Reeves looks at the French Connection and he doesn't copy the exact same chase. What he's Mm -hmm. looking at is what makes it visceral. Oh, it's how they put the camera and mounted it on a car. So then you watch the scene and you realize, why is this so effective? It's because he's mounted the camera onto the vehicle so it feels like you're moving with it. That Mm -hmm. scene with all the explosions, real. When it comes to that one moment where Batman's going through the tunnel and they're shooting bullets at him, I had no idea. Real muzzle flashes on him. They did so (laughs) much practical effects in this movie that I think that's why uh, it's able to excel at not just homaging to stuff that have come before it. Uh, you had mentioned Chinatown. Someone says in this, that's Gotham. Just like, that's Chinatown. There's a lot mm-hmm. of beautiful parallels that he has to all the movies of old. But he isn't just mimicking them. He's able to find a way to flesh them out and sometimes overlap things that you may know. You know, This is a character who everybody has an idea of and he's taking advantage of that. Just like he's taking advantage of the Fincher movies he's knows you, he's known you're watching, all the mafia movies mm-hmm. he knows you've seen, and is trying to like combine them together to create uh, what I thought was a very intriguing story that has a lot of layers to it. Yeah. Without getting too much into spoilers, I, I do feel like there are uh, very close shades to seven at parts of this movie. I think it's definitely borrowed a lot of uh, the tactics of a movie like seven but it's it's utilized them well and i think uh borrowing from some of those ideas isn't necessarily like a carbon copy thing he's he's adapting it and i think they've they've managed to integrate it all well um for me i I think a lot of people have been talking about the length as well i felt like it was pretty solid in terms of uh keeping my interest and not overstaying its welcome like it's maybe a little like uh, in the middle feels a little bit like you're getting chased around, but it actually kind of reminded me of a lot of those crime thrillers where in the middle, when you're going from from this suspect back to this suspect, back to this suspect, and you, you get a bit a little bit lost in the investigation, I felt that way on my first watch. I feel like it'll probably become a little bit more clear to me uh, on a rewatch, but it, did you, you felt like it moved? Do you feel like it, it maybe was a little bit slow or at least... Uh, paced a little bit more slowly than some other Batman movies? Hey, I can't speak to people's bladders, man. I can't speak yeah. to people having to sit for three hours in a movie, especially taking into account trailers, but I do think that for the story that it's telling, hell, there's a lot more that he could have said. There's a prequel book that I would highly recommend for those of you who haven't uh, heard or read about it. It is literally just like a two-hour read. You can check it out. It's online. I think it adds a lot to the movie. 
that is already there. Uh, having rewatched the movie after listening to the book, it's just throwaway lines that I can guarantee you you do not remember any of these lines. But in the book, mm-hmm. those lines are fleshed out to be the that that prequel uh, story and where you see what that moment was supposed to be. I think that it's a three-hour movie that you have so many elements to chew on on rewatches, but on your first one, it may feel a little slow until you realize everything that's at play. I think everything serves a purpose and it is perfectly timed because there is a master plan that isn't just happening to Batman, but it's happening to the audience as well. Mm -hmm. That's where I think he knocked it out of the park. Interesting. Interesting. Uh... Devesh mentions in the live stream that uh, he wasn't so into the use of the Mando screens. I thought they were pretty cool in terms of giving you the Ooh. sense of geography. <laughs> That's a good discussion right there. So for those who don't know, the Mando screens, it's like the same thing Nolan used as well. So again, this is what I mean when I say the homaging thing. It's not so much that someone can't do an homage. It's just interesting when they like it when Interstellar did it, but they don't like it when another movie does it. And it all depends on the execution. I think it's a very interesting tool, but knowing that Greg mm-hmm. Frazier shot this and Dune, Dune had sand screens, but I will. I think I will always prefer it being in person. Um, it wasn't bad, though. I think it's a very interesting way to be able to get a shot like this, because how else would you get something where you're trying to recreate all of Gotham? If you're mm-hmm. having a CGI scene where you're going to add buildings to a skyline, so you're shooting on the skyline, if you're right. going to add CGI scenes, then what? how is it any different than not doing this technique, right? Right. Like, I don't think it necessarily is as good at as getting it in real life. But I do think it is a huge step up from the green screen studios that we've been used to. And and when you compare this to like the look of most of the Marvel movies, like there's not really even much of a comparison there. For sure. Uh, Another thing that has been debated about online is the whole idea of like, is this a humorless movie? Are there no jokes in it? I remember you came out last week talking about that. You think it's really funny. And like, I, I think that this is actually like a pretty campy Batman movie. Like next... Like, short of the Joel Schumacher ones, like, maybe the campiest Batman movie. Right. Uh, just the way that Jeffrey Wright's constantly like, hey, man. Thank Batman you. Batman is, is really kind of funny. Uh, the whole, and, I mean, we have to talk about Colin Farrell here. We because do. I think, because Colin Farrell here is doing what everybody said Jared Leto was doing in House of Gucci. He is just hamming it up, giving you full, like, he's not playing, uh, he's not giving you the accent, he's giving you the stare stereotype of the accent but like in the most joyful fun way possible he's playing every mob villain from every mob from every mob movie ever it's fantastic he's clearly having a lot of fun yeah uh he was incredible in the makeup this is a movie where the previous one with danny devito who i also think did a really good job they got nominated i believe even won for the makeup there so i don't see how he doesn't get a nomination uh the team gets a nomination for the makeup it's unreal and to piggyback off of that, it's his eyes. It's the performance is in Colin Farrell's eyes. The performance is in Robert Pattinson's eyes. All of the acting here is really centered on a lot of these characters' eyes, which just shows you how great the direction is. Um, but mm-hmm. I love what he played because he's sort of like... <laughs> he's not necessarily the Penguin yet. That's a, that's a really cool thing about yeah. this movie being year two. He's not necessarily fully Batman yet. She's not really Catwoman. She's even credited as Selina. He's still the guy opening doors for the main villain you know he's still the one who's kind of like the bodyguard but i cannot wait to see uh how they expand on his character there's also a spinoff series that's coming out that uh he's a part of called i forget what it's called but it's about gotham and just the whole underbelly of it i will have more and more of the penguin let me ask you this sec yeah pg-13 should it have been rated r i mean 
I, I think so. It, it's going so close up to the line that it almost feels like it wants to be there. I, I, I think they do a really clever thing, though. In And I listened to Reeves talk about this in interviews about trying to be almost Hitchcockian in the idea of implying violence rather than showing it explicitly, the way that you never see... Uh, uh, her, uh, what's her name? Get, Vivian gets stabbed in Psycho. Um, mm. I think he does a very similar thing with the very first kill in the movie where you don't actually see a lot of the violence. It's implied. There's a very cool moment uh, about halfway through where they do something out of focus uh, that might have made the movie a little bit inch, inch closer to an R rating had they done it in focus. I, it's just, I think <laughs> they, they did that in use... Too. You're right. I think they do stuff cleverly and maybe that's just to keep it PG-13. So it's yeah. almost like, I, do are we missing, like, is it almost a better movie because it's PG-13 because they have to great, be a little bit more, more clever about it. it. I agree with you. I hate when something's rated R just for the sake of being rated R. To me, uh, I don't care what the rating is. I just know that sometimes yeah. a director turns in something and then it has to get cut down because of the rating. And that's right. when it sucks. I do feel that there are elements, especially with the first beat up that Batman does. Pattinson has talked about that he went actually a little further. He almost goes, we'll talk at the OUE, just a, a couple punches more. And I would like to see a version where we get to see that initial type of uh, anger that he has right off the bat. Uh but that would have been rated R, and I know you they needed to be a PG-13. To me, I don't see right. any kid going into this movie wanting to see a three-hour uh, Batman where, like you said, the other ones have been action, the other ones have been different elements, gadgets, and all that. This is a psychological Batman. This right. is a Batman who the biggest enemy is himself. <laughs> it's him mm-hmm. trying to mm-hmm. overcome this idea of what the Batman is and all the trauma that he has with him, and I, I think that's why it's, it, it's so good. Uh, what do you think of Catwoman? What do you think of uh, well, Selena Kyle? She's still Selena Kyle. That's what she keeps saying. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought that the Zoe Kravitz performance was really electric. Like, a, it's the kind of performance that whenever she's on screen, she draws your eye. Um, I'm I don't know how much of that is just putting Zoe Kravitz in the role of Catwoman, mm-hmm. which just feels like a marriage that works there. Um, I, I wanted to th- them. I wanted them to explore her a little bit more. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see. But you know. For a three-hour movie, they still left a lot to to be delved into. I don't know. I agree with you. Uh, shout out Dexter who says, being Team Edward really paid off. I'll tell you, man, it's funny seeing all the people who made their careers out of pooping on these movies, right? Oh, mm-hmm. he's such a terrible actor. Uh, they forgot in those videos. Those articles are still up. Who would have thought that the guy who played a brooding, pale, reclusive vampire would be a good bat? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, look, we had a uh, Kristen Stewart presenting best. Uh, I think she presented best picture at the Independent Spirits last night, or maybe really? it was just best actress. And got a huge ovation, and she's also Oscar nominated now. And now we got Pattinson in the biggest movie of the year so far. So that's good. T- the the Twilight fans are eaten. Decade later, even if if there are no more of those movies. Uh, Joe Blow points out that uh, Zoe was also the voice of Catwoman in Lego Bro, Batman. Yeah, we, we were, I was it? doing my research going back, and <laughs> said, I realized that. <laughs> <laughs> I have a bit of that on the uh, Love You Explain that we're working on. It's hilarious. It's fantastic. Pretty funny. Uh, we also got a question about the potential Oscar chances for the Batman next year. I don't know if you thought about that at all. Make-up. I mean, obviously... Uh, it's got the legacy of the Heath Ledger performance, winning supporting actor, uh, and a lot of people 
think that the whole reason that they expanded the Best Picture field in the first place was because The Dark Knight didn't get into the Best Picture lineup. I, I agree with you. I think makeup is a is a lock actually for a nomination. Um, I could see cinematography being considered. I don't know if it's a lock the way that a lot of people are talking about it right now, just because it's still really early in the year. There's still a lot of stuff that's on the way. Yes, but I would throw in Greg having gotten one for Dune. He is in there. Mm-hmm. He knows how to make mm-hmm. the entire packet. They are not just dealing with Dune, but they're dealing with his work in The Mandalorian. There's going to be another cinematographer who turns something in, and it's going to be part of his work that he was able to develop with these screens. In this one, the way that they went full anamorphic, which again... IMAX, not that ratio. I felt lied to. It was never going to be that way. They were shooting it like the 70s movies that you're talking about. They wanted it to be the super widescreen and the lenses that they bought for it, bro. They found these like, it's not even like 85, they were like 88 millimeter lenses that were like broken. They were like all damaged to get a specific view so that it's bokeh out right towards the end. You're telling me they're not going to make a package for their campaign and take that all the way? 100%, dude. Like the, the use of shadows and what they had in here. You saw that he, Matt Reeves, sent out letters to theaters telling them how to adjust their projectors. He's going Nolan with it. Let's go. You got to go Nolan it. with their Batman movies. I love it. Of course. Uh, I could also see Giacchino's score. People are loving that score. And Giacchino, I'm pretty sure, has been nominated in the past. He has, I do maybe not it. that recently, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's a great score. Um, but I think, you know, it's definitely got... It's probably the front runner right now in terms of the blockbuster movie that has the technical merits to get like you know eight nominations i i don't really think it has much of a chance in above the line stuff and you know um, performances but i i don't think performances you know ultimately I, um i ultimately think some of them are maybe a little bit smaller than you need for um i agree to yeah. really be considered in those parts. i don't i don't see how they'd push the campaign unless if it was like a twofer between uh, penguin along with his makeup type thing and they end up you know, yeah. taking advantage of seeing those two continuously pop up. But if it was anybody, it'd have to be Riddler or Penguin. But considering all the performances we still have, they're going to come out. Probably not. Yeah. Um, and then one last thing before we move on to the m- next movie. Uh, AMC introduced a n- interesting wrinkle that I think people who have been following the theater industry have been expecting to happen for some time in that they're doing variable pricing for the first eight days of the Batman's release, which means an additional $1.50 upcharge for tickets for the Batman in those first eight days. Um, A lot of people have been talking about it. I, I think it's, it was inevitable. And I think a lot of people were also hoping like, if we were going to get variable pricing, maybe make the indie movie uh, tickets cheaper. But I always felt that was like a little bit delusional because then you're just making the margins for indie movies even smaller than they already are. It's so Meanwhile, dumb. like people are going to pay $50 for Batman to. tickets opening night if they, they really want to see the Batman. I mean, look at eBay, you know, you can buy t- like the whole thing with Spider-Man, how people were selling tickets on eBay for that. Like there is a demand that is greater than the cost of the ticket. And they're taking so advantage theaters, of it. Yeah, exactly. Theaters know they will still get their business from those movies if they upcharge in the first eight days. People will still see them. So wrong. look, if, if, if I run a movie theater, I think it's smart, but... It sucks from the consumer basis, especially at a time where it it feels like theaters are desperate to get people to come back out to the movies, and this is yet one more impediment from it happening. It's going to hurt them in the long run. They say that this might be on HBO late April. I doubt that, but 
we are seeing these turn around immediately. So I think people will wait for streaming on many cases. Unless it's going to be a superhero. Hey, how many superhero movies you got, Zach? Because the the studios (laughs) have them, but the theaters don't, right? So it would be really dumb to do it on that. And then Independence Day 3 or whatever the next blockbuster is comes out and people go, yeah, I would have paid it for Batman, but I'm not paying it for whatever this other one is. That's where it's going to hurt them. That's the thing, too. That's it, and then it's like, oh well, maybe we could get them to pay twenty five dollars for Independence Day or forty for the Batman. Nah. But then, you know, like then it what? becomes so complicated that I, I think you drive people away too. Like part of what's dependable about going to the movies is you know how much it generally costs. What happens to box office then? How are you even varying it? So now a a, a nope. Is Nope going to get that priced? Or Nope doesn't get that because it's not really a franchise. So if Nope crosses 100 mil, that's not going to be the same 100 mil that mm-hmm. Marvel's going to get? Do you understand what I mean? Like, now they're different yeah. price. That's not fair for the top times or any of that. It, it's lame. Yeah. It, it'll be interesting to see because this is stuff that we've been talking about for a while. I, th- I remember back in 2012, uh, Spielberg was talking about this as the way of the future, that people will probably only go to the movie theaters like a couple times per year and it'll be a big event like it's going to see a show on Broadway or something. Um, and I, I don't think that future is unrealistic. And, and this is, 3D. you know, it's a baby step towards yeah. it, but it is a step. At least with 3D and IMAX and uh, Dolby, yes, that's to get more, but at least they're offering something. This is like the exact same movie you could have seen last week, but for the first eight days, that's lame to me. Offer something else. Come on. An NFT. All right. If that was... If that wasn't enough Batman talk for you, stick with us. We'll be back with a dive into the spoilers just after this, but... Uh, let's talk a little bit about Fresh, which finally dropped on Hulu over the weekend. I saw a bunch of the intercuties logging Fresh on their Letterboxd and uh, talking about it in the Discord. So make sure you head to head to the link down below to join us on Discord and talk about the latest fil- thi- latest films that you're watching. I didn't rewatch Fresh. Did you get a chance to, or not really? Not yet. Yeah, I'm curious too, though. Um, I saw some people really enjoy it. I saw some people really not enjoying it too. So interesting, uh, interesting that interesting that this movie is as divisive as it is. Uh, Daisy Edgar Edgar Jones got a funny joke in at the Independent Spirit Awards. That's like a slight spoiler for the movie, so I won't uh, say it here. But yeah, cool that that one is finally available on Hulu for people who didn't get to watch it. But I think that's just about all we've been watching. It's it's been not too much light. You know, people are clearing out for the Batman, Batman. right now. Even yeah. next week, I don't think we'll have much because Disney's decided that Pixar is no longer a theatrical uh, strategy that they want to go with. So Turning Red will be on um, Disney+. Plus. So that, yeah. that's yet another week for the Batman to continue doing its thing. Yeah, well, uh, let's get into some of the movies that are coming in the new to see because there are some options out there, including Lingui, The Sacred Bonds, is hitting Mubi on March 8th. A lot of people uh, have said that they really enjoyed this one. I've seen some good reviews of it. I think it was Chad's entry into the Oscars this year, although it didn't mm-hmm. get uh, nominated. So I'm curious Chicago, about catching. Yeah. yeah, so I'm definitely curious to catch up with that one. Uh, also on March 8th, HBO debuts the first part of a two-part documentary, The Undercurrent, The Disappearance of Kim Wall, a very interesting story about a journalist who was killed by the subject that she was interviewing. And there was a whole there was a whole uh, prolonged search for her body and stuff like that. So uh, I I would highly recommend 
learning more about this story. I haven't checked the documentary okay. out, but I'm fascinated uh, to to look into it. Uh, yeah, HBO? Undercurrent, The Disappearance of Kim Wall. This one is also directed by Erin Lee Carr, who did Mommy Dead and Dearest. And uh, she also did, I forget the name of it, but the documentary about the girl that Elle Fanning is playing on that show that's coming out for Hulu. Oh, that one's also on um, HBO, the one who told Go Kill Yourself. and then Exactly, yeah. exactly. So Aaron Lee Card's done some interesting documentaries as interesting. well. Interesting. Check it out. Yeah. On March 9th, uh, well, I, I had my Netflix up to Andy Warhol Diaries, but it doesn't want to play. So we'll just mention that Andy Warhol Diaries is up on Netflix. Tomorrow, or March 9th. I'm curious about that one. Then over on Discovery Plus on March 10th is Last Exit Space, which is a new documentary from Werner Herzog and I believe his son, Rudolf wow. uh, Herzog. Hey, that's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, so keep it in the family. That's pretty cool. Nice. Also hitting uh, streaming on March 10th is The Seed, which will be on Shudder. Art, you were curious about this one. Yeah, uh, a lot of the stuff that Shudder's been getting, I think it, they've been doing a really good job at looking at what has been a hit at festivals or, you know, just last minute things that they could pick up and they've been able to do a really good job at, I, I think, having a solid curation all of this year so far. Really good picks back from March, February, uh, and the subs that they'll be picking up this upcoming month too. Uh, over uh, on Friday, over on Netflix, we are getting the latest Ryan Reynolds project, The Adam Project. They're cool. being a little bit coy <laughs> nice. with this one. Yeah. Um, and I, I just get the feeling that this one is not really going to work out for them for let whatever you, reason. Let me tell you a story, Zach. Underground yeah. 6. Do you remember that one? I, think, I don't even know if I'm getting the name right. Was it Underground 6? It's 6 Underground. 6 Underground, right? Uh, who cares? <laughs> so 6 Underground, right? You can't get the screening link for it. You, you know, this is a very precious movie. You can't get it. And then it drops, and it's been dropped, and it's sitting there. Yep. That is every movie. Yeah, I, I have a feeling this Maybe is not going to be... Maybe do something different. <laughs> Yeah, it's not going to do red notice numbers for whatever reason. Uh, you mean be inflated? On March 11th is Gold, the latest film starring Zac Efron. Ooh. And curiously, for those of you who have been in the Zac Efron game for a it. while. Don't say it. He, Don't ruin the he plays. He plays a dad. First Aubrey Plaza, now him. It's over. <laughs> it's done. We're getting old, man. It's happening... One day at a time, but it's happening more and more. We are getting old. We got the screening link. I'm curious link. about the... Yeah, they sent it to us, but we haven't had a chance uh, to watch Gold yet. So I'm sure we can uh, recap it on next week's weekend must-watch. Give it a mention. Knocking, uh, Knockningar, which we caught back at last year's Sundance, hits Arrow. We don't mention Arrow too much, so I wanted to give them a little bit of a shout. I, I, is that yeah. the streaming service? Because I think it might be on Shutter as well, dude. Don't quote oh, me really? on that. I don't quote me on hmm. that. But yeah, this was one that we yeah. caught at Sundance two years ago. Uh, yeah. Interesting. I think you liked it a little bit more than I did, but it's a nice little thriller. Yeah. I think people have varied responses to how it all wraps up, but it's it's very interesting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, then off season comes very out. Similar. I believe on v- <laughs> in theaters, VOD and digital. This is one that we caught at what was South it? By. Was it Fantastic South Twenty One. Yeah, South by. Yeah, I, di- I didn't really like this one. What, what did you think about Off Season? <sighs> Another one where I think it's fascinating to have this story of a woman who's going back to this island, and the moment they get to the island, they can't get off of it. It's shut down, and there's this weird past that she has to deal with, and it's very intriguing. You even got Joe Swanberg, the master of Mumblecore himself, um, saying very precise lines in this one, but 
I, it mm-hmm. teeters by the end of it, even though I, I find it to be a very fascinating premise. If it's hitting Shutter, it's worth checking out. Uh, but I definitely wouldn't give it anything above a renta, even though it's it's a very intriguing premise. Yeah, an intriguing premise, but I, I like you, I feel like it kind of didn't really build to anything. So <sighs> yeah, maybe in know. a rewatch I pick up on something, but it, it's okay. It's okay. It's a skip it from me. Uh, then probably the most exciting new release of the weekend is Pixar's Turning You've seen it. Red. It inspired on yes, me, I have seen it. You told me it was good. Talk about it. Hey, check it out. Check it out. I'm going to do my live letterbox rating. Ready? Uh, let's go two and a half. Let's go three. Let's go three and a half. Uh, I'll leave it at three and a half. It's a really solid oh, bro, new entry from Pixar. <laughs> it's a really solid new entry from Pixar. And I say this also as somebody who wasn't the biggest fan of uh, Luca and wasn't the biggest fan of Onward and even wasn't the hugest fan of Encanto. This is probably my favorite Pixar in a couple of years, maybe since Coco or something. It's a really solid wow. uh, story with a lot of really exciting kind of uh, visual elements to it where it brings in some cultural elements to kind of vary up the art styles too. I, I think it's very sweet. I think it's also... Uh, not a movie that's too focused on being a metaphor, right? It's not like um, a Inside Out where it's all about telling you this like grand metaphor. It's very much just like an adventure featuring cute characters and an, a fun story that kids can relate to. Um, I also like that it's just a it's a kids movie that's kind of like girls can be horny too. That's pretty cool. So <laughs> I. <laughs> I get my give my thumbs up to Turning Red. I'm curious to see what you think about it when you watch Should it. I might even up my my rating to uh, four stars when I get to rewatch it. Yeah, the thing that's the unfortunate thing. I think this would do gangbusters in theaters, especially like what else are kids seeing right now? Like you're not kids aren't like little kids aren't going out to see the Batman, right? I hope not. So Uncharted. This is better than Uncharted, man. This is so much better than Uncharted. They're just giving up box office by dumping this on Disney+. Plus. It's a shame. No, it's it's every playing Pixar. in one theater in New York and one theater in LA. That's lame. That sucks. That, that's, that pisses me off. Next. Next, Zach. Next. <laughs> uh, Tyson's Run is coming out in theaters. I have heard nothing about Tyson's Run, but it is a wide release this weekend. Interesting. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I know nothing about it either, but it's an interesting name. I'll yep. try to check it out. And then uh, Ultrasound, which is a film that I did not catch at last year's Tribeca Film Festival. Got kind of okay reviews, but it stars a couple people that I like. And Vincent Carthizer, who was in L.A. Noir and Mad Men. And then Tunde Adebimpe, who is the uh, former lead of uh, TV on the radio. Mm -hmm. Um, Also a good actor. So I'm curious about checking out uh, Ultrasound. But not a whole... Lot of options out there, man, this weekend. Yeah. It's basically just go see the Batman or, or tick something off of your watch list. Yeah, so for the most part, on, on my, obviously my recommendation is the Batman. Go see it in the brightest theater you possibly can. And if you've already seen it, I would say go back to its influences. Go watch the movies uh, Zach had mentioned from French Connection to Bullet. A lot of these are streaming. Go catch Dirty Harry, which mm-hmm. is clearly an influence for this new Batman. Yeah, if you watch haven't the seen Seven, if you seven, haven't seen Fincher, Zodiac. All of them, man. We have a whole collection here that I could mention. There's go watch a bunch of Fincher good stuff. Bracket. 
literally. Uh, so instead, I'm going to give my pick of the week to something a little bit different. I had a play review not too long ago uh, at the Steppenwolf, and the Steppenwolf is now showing a new a uh, little play called King James. This just premiered, Ooh. I would say, this past weekend, so we had the opportunity to go see it at its opening, and it stars, uh, let me pull it up here. It is a story of two practically best friends, uh, Matt and Sean, who end up coming together because of their love for Cleveland. In particular, it takes place right when the one and only King James has graduated, he graduated high school, right? I think he's, yeah. he graduated and then goes straight to league. Um, yeah. I'm trying to find right here. Uh, it stars Glenn Davis, and Chris Perfetti. Do you know who Chris Perfetti is? I don't know who Chris Perfetti. The uh, Abbott Elementary, the teacher, the oh, the, the white dude who's always just like, I think we're friends, but we're work friends. Maybe we're not. <laughs> He's in it, and he plays exactly awesome. that live on stage. So it's uh, two Hilarious. people. You know, they they end up becoming friends because of their connection with this. Uh, because one of them has season tickets, one of them's trying to buy off of it. And I really loved how it. Uh, jumps forward in time, so it's uh, their friendship and King James's, I guess, road to fame in four parts. Uh, I would recommend it. I thought it was very enjoyable. Nothing too profound, I would say, but it does have some very interesting discussions on not just uh, you know friendships, but also kind of their relations to their own families and even um, mm. just their own perspectives of being in Cleveland. Being, you know, one being a white dude, one being a black dude, uh, and just their love for the sport. So if you're a big sports fan, I think you would love all the references that they do in here. If you're not a sports fan, I think it's still very easy to follow along. But King James playing over at the Steppenwolf. If you're a awesome. Abbott Elementary fan, go see the boy live. Yeah. I, oh, I, Martha Plimpton is a part of the cast for of, uh, Steppenwolf. So whatever the next show is, expect a Martha Plimpton Steppenwolf review, man. I That, oh, that was the damn. one thing that freaked me out. I was like, oh man, I gotta go see this. And they got uh, John Malkovich. So come winter, man. I'm not reviewing movies. I'm reviewing plays. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing about the Steppenwolf. If Inter- you are curtains. in Chicago, they, they always have really good actors who come out of there. So uh, We just saw Carrie <sighs> Coon. Uh, this guy was, was pretty good. It, yeah, it, they, they've been having a good run. Meanwhile, they just announced that Pamela Anderson's going to make her Broadway debut <laughs> later this year. Let's go. Let's go, Zach. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I think they also announced that Daniel Radcliffe is going to be doing something off-Broadway, uh, so I was kind of curious about I saw, that. I saw Daniel in The Life Spec of a Fan, a yeah, yeah, yeah. of a fact, or, with Bobby Carnavale. I saw that one, too. One of the... Yeah. Fantastic. I love that play. Alina and I quote that play all the time. <laughs> Very cool. All right, if you're going to do something a little bit off the cuff, then I'll do something uh, a little bit out of left field. My, I'll bring back Zach's podcast corner for a recommendation of the podcast Dead Eyes. Have you heard about this podcast? No, tell me. Uh, it is starring and uh, written or whatever you want to call it by the actor, comedian Connor Ratliff, who, if you're just a fan of comedies, you've probably seen him. He's not like a, a name brand, but he's kind of like a that guy. You know, he shows up on uh, Search Party. He showed up on the Chris Gethard show. He's in The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which you've probably seen him in. Uh, he's one of those people who shows up in a lot of bit parts. Uh, a guy who's had a, has has had a solid career. And the very fun thing about this podcast is he's kind of made it made his own version of serial, but about something that does not matter because back in the year 2000, I want to say he was cast in a part in band of brothers only to be fired, only to be fired by Tom Hanks before actually getting to play the role. Okay. I I think I know. And, uh, 
Yeah, and and the podcast kind of like came to a really glorious culmination earlier this week in Connor, after 31 episodes, finally got to interview Tom Hanks about why he was fired from Band of Brothers. Um, and the Lest you think that that like knowing that information robs you of a really great journey, I assure you it doesn't. I I just started the podcast for myself, and it is delightful. Just the way the the storytelling in it is really precise. He's got a really uh, he's got a gift for describing different situations. Uh, He also brings on a lot of really a lot of really funny people in just the first couple of episodes. You hear from Zach Woods. You hear from. uh, John Hamm, you hear from Adam Conover. There's a whole bunch of really interesting comedians who pop up on the show. So I would highly recommend it. Great uh, way to spend some time. And it's also cool because it's this mystery about something that did not hurt anybody, right? It's just like a, a silly little mystery that he's trying to unpack. I'll have to so, check it out. Yeah, I got a road trip coming up down to Texas. So exactly. We you go. got some time Beautiful. to kill. Is that yeah. always pulling in right before I'm about to hit 17 hours on the road? <laughs> With these are picks. I think you have one last pick. One last review. See, the back calzones, for whatever reason, Zach, end at eight. Explain mm-hmm. that to me. Why a back calzone Stop starting right. at it, eight when you fight crime at night. If anything, it should be an all-night item, right? <laughs> Exclusively. You shouldn't be getting it until the sun goes down. But, Zach, you yeah. got something a little different. You, you went I way did. back. We talking about seventies references. You went back to the seventies. <laughs> Essentially, if that's what you want to call it, uh, there was a promo campaign for Licorice Pizza, which is now available to buy on iTunes. No free promo, I guess, but maybe a little free mo- promo. Uh, in which, in cities in, in in New York and in LA, there were shops selling licorice pizzas, which isn't really what they were selling. Like, nobody's putting some Twizzlers on a pizza and selling it to you. But uh, they did a spicy pepperoni pizza. And and they sent it in this kind of nice licorice pizza box. Wait, so you actually got a real pizza? Yeah, there's a real... I mean, not anymore, but there's a little (laughs) bit of grease grease left over to prove it. How's the pizza? Where's the pizza? (laughs) Oh, uh, the pizza was from Prince Street Pizza, which is one of the famous spots in New York. Uh, So it was a nice chance to eat a little bit of their famous pepperoni. Nice. Famous spicy pepperoni. It was a very good pizza, man. I mean, it's hard to go wrong in New York, but... The box, The box is pretty slick, though. It's a slick box, bro. (laughs) Look at that. That's fine. I like that. So that'll be living on my set for a little bit. If you're you're listening, maybe uh, tune into a live stream, stream to see some more... Paul Thomas Anderson memorabilia in my background. Put a little vinyl in there. Get the actual licorice pizza. In <laughs> right. I'm just That's wondering, the- like, I, I, how how long that box is going to be okay for with uh, with that <laughs> grease in it. Maybe I have to like slice off the top or something. I don't really. <laughs> It'll, be fine. I don't really know. It'll live on. <laughs> The very interesting picks for the week, Zach, that we got. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's also, you know, After Yang is available for most people. Obviously, the Batman definitely turning red once that's out. And we'll be back next week with some more stuff because at least we'll have watched maybe Gold, maybe Ultrasound, maybe a couple uh-huh. others. I don't know. Well, yeah. we'll have a good bunch. And then a uh, uh, first recap for all the South by stuff that we'll be seeing this upcoming weekend. So, yeah. Uh, and there's also stuff to be prepared for. I see Pink Sweets in the live stream mentioning that she's been rewatching Barry and Atlanta prepare for, to yep. prepare for them coming back. They're both back on April 24th. Mm-hmm. That's a packed day. 
That's a good day. April's going to be really packed. I've been seeing that. Uh, we have yeah. uh, a couple of good blockbusters rounding off the month, but April seems like it's going to come in full on, and then the theatrical releases from May are going to be crazy, which is awesome. why I want to answer uh, just like one or two questions here before we wrap it. And okay, I said, yep. uh, what are your thoughts on the Batman being released in early March? They also have a Catwoman yep. question for you about a prequel. but in, <laughs> I got that too. Yeah, in terms of the date release, to me it's always been like I felt the summers back in the day used to begin the boomy blockbuster season right at Memorial Day weekend. That was like mm-hmm. the start of it. And then, you know, one studio decided, nah, May 11th. Uh, okay, then someone's got to do May. Then they did it to April. And I felt like starting at BVS, which also had a March release, DC just decided to not mess around with Disney, Fox, and, you know, they're all one now. They went straight for the March release. And since then, they've been comfortable with it. And it just shows you how how extended we've made the summer season. Because, yeah, how would you not consider Batman the beginning of mm-hmm. blockbusters in 2022? Yeah, I mean, I think that certain movies, particularly superhero movies, are, um, they're immune to when time in the calendar you release them. You know, you look at Spider-Man, which was released in the middle of the winter at the height of a wave of COVID and just broke every box office record imaginable, right? Mm -hmm. Like, there's just a, a hunger for these movies at any time in the release calendar. So I'm actually a little bit thankful that they would put this not in the middle of a whole bunch of other stuff where you feel like, at, you're scrambling just to keep up. Yeah. Like it's a nice, it's a nice introduction into the summer movie season before things get really hectic. And well, I, that's why I it's like there. Their, <laughs> they no choice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like you want to, you want to leave a little bit of space and like clearly like everybody else cleared out the schedule because they didn't want to mess with Batman. Mm-hmm. But you know, it ends up being, my only issue with it is that when releases like this crowd the movie theaters and kick other things off of their screens. Uh, I don't know if you saw the news that Cyrano is now going to be going to VOD 11 days after it was released in theaters. And, it, it, you know, it's stuff like that where it's it's tough to see some of these movies that Cyrano I would like to see on the big screen. to themselves, bro. They could have yeah. released that at any point in time. Like, I'm supposed to be woe is me to the final movie that had an Oscars run that's not even out, bro. Drive My Car on HBO Max with a full theatrical release. They could have done it off of Janus Films. I don't know. I'm going to start this with Cyrano. I, I like Cyrano. I'm, ex- I'm excited for people to actually catch Cyrano. They were also wrong for the way they released that. <laughs> yeah, true, true. And that's what happens when you, I guess, get too close to a big blockbuster like that is you threaten uh, your your long your longevity. Yeah, they're going to cut one movie. It's going to be Cyrano. <laughs> yep. But yep. Oki mentioned also about wanting, uh, how I mentioned that I wanted to spend more time with Catwoman. How would I feel about a spinoff with Selena before she meets up? Um, you know, I think that'd be interesting. Um, I... I think that's kind of a strategy of HBO uh, and HBO Max and Warner in general now is, you know, you had P- uh, Suicide Squad and then they had their spinoff with Peacemaker. You had Dune and they're getting spinoff TV show. We already have the Gotham TV show in the works. Like mm-hmm. they're trying to expand these universes as much as possible. And uh, if they're going to pour money to something, they want to uh, diversify it and ma- make sure there's a lot of things out there. I guess I'm curious whether or not Zoe Kravitz would be interested. I think she, although she did that Hulu show, so I guess she could do some TV. Um, I mean, I, I would be into it. I think um, it's not something I'm like begging for, but sure, why not? Why not? So, is it something that you want? Which which of the characters would you most want to see Penguin. get their own spinoff show? Penguin and that's Penguin it, but show? I would say Zero because I don't want it running thin. We had really good. It's very concentrated. The more and more, you're going to thin it out. 
All right, so uh, should we wrap it up there and be back in a, less than half an hour for mm-hmm. our Batman spoilers live stream? Full spoilers. Full spoilers. All right, so thanks for those of you who have been hanging out with us. As a reminder, you can catch more from me by following me on Twitter, Instagram, or Letterboxd at Zshevich, Z-S-H-E-V-I-C-H. All right, where can people find more from you? You can find me over at Let Me Explain, probably logging the Batman one more time. And you can find me over on Twitter talking about the Batman a little bit more or every week here on the Intercut Podcast, where in 30 minutes, we're going to be talking about the Batman even more. Yes, you can listen to every episode of the Intercut Podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher. I like Overcast. And make sure you're subscribed, not just to the audio feed, but to the video feed as well on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash intercutpod, where you can catch our bright, smiling faces as we break down the latest in entertainment. Find new weekend must-watch live streams every Monday on our YouTube channel at 3 p.m., Eastern, and then find more content coming throughout the weeks as we give you all sorts of new uh, installments and thoughts and reviews and brackets and all sorts of goodies coming. Uh, please leave us a comment, like the videos, consider heading over to iTunes to give us that much requested five star review. And shout out to our listeners in Greece who put us way up on the TV and film podcast charts out there. We were top 10 for, for a minute this week. In so, Greece? Sh- yeah. I mean, shout man, out we got to take a. Yeah, take a trip out to Mykonos or something. (laughs) Go check out the sites in Athens. We love y'all in Greece. I'm going to go visit Greek islands tonight in honor of y'all. Appreciate that. We'll get to have a gyro. And then, yeah, uh, make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. All those pages are at Intercut Pod to get updates throughout the week from me, from Art, from all the guests we feature here on Intercut. You can also support the show on Patreon.com slash Intercut Pod for as little as $1 a month, where you'll get access to episode outlines early, as well as our monthly Google meeting hangouts. We'll probably do that one a little bit later in the month so we can do it maybe like right before or right after the Oscars. Maybe the intercuties can Ooh. let us know whether... what should, should we do an Oscars preview or the Oscars recap uh, hangout? Nah, that, that that's going to give us a lot to talk about. The we, recap. we do it the day before and then everyone right. has to say the day. <laughs> no, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. So keep, a tune, keep tuned out for that. Uh, thanks again for tuning in and until next time, L versus La... You hablas español? <laughs> of Dawn of Justice. <laughs>